morning. Can you please give him a warm welcome as he comes up? Hi, Mark. Great to have you with us. I see you're sporting an iPad as well. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It's a little... If, if it's possible, I have a battered iPad. What does that say about the world we've come into? Right, well, I have a battered a couple battered. of A4 pieces of paper, but that obviously doesn't cut it these days. <laughs> How did you survive yesterday's heat? Uh, I survived yesterday's heat by going up to uh, the lake, uh, Lake North... Lake Lakes on. Church? That's right. Yeah. Uh, I was speaking at their summer fest up there. And um, they decided that year to actually move the whole thing indoors, which was fantastic. So, you know, I mean, you guys have got a lot to live up to. You're not going to build this. Now, actually, I think actually it was a, a marvellous time with a bunch of parents up there. Was it air-conditioned indoors? Well, I had fans, you know, so yeah. <laughs> it's something. <laughs> okay. And uh, now you're, you're really involved in the media. Yeah. How has the media become a fascination for you? Oh, I think um, it all begins with a kid who won't shut up. So if you actually have one of those in your family, you know, they could... Well, maybe they, you don't want them to end up here. It may not be the way you want to go. But um, uh, I just... I started in journalism about 25 years ago. I, I moved into producing. I went from producing to script writing. I went from script writing to well, where I am now, which is writing a lot of articles and still writing scripts, things like that. So I guess it's just not knowing when to stop telling people what you think. <laughs> but you're not friendless, are you, Mark? <laughs> I write books about friends in the hope that someday I'll get one. <laughs> one. <laughs> now, I remember as a kid growing up, um, my dad uh, is a quality assurance engineer, which I'm still not really sure what that is. But I remember growing up asking my dad... <laughs> but I bet dad, he said, good job, yeah. a lot. <laughs> anyway. And I'd say, so, Dad, what did you do at work today? And he'd say, oh, I just rang some people and talked to some and made some decisions. And I was clueless about what he did until I was about 20. Um, and you were telling a good story about oh, yeah. uh, how you were explaining to uh, your son's class what you did yeah, for a living. Has anybody had one of those experiences where you're asked to go up to the local primary school and be part of the class for a day as a parent and suddenly you realise that you are the class, like it's that you're the topic under examination? And so it was one of those situations where they asked a lot of the dads up and then said, now tell everybody in the class what you do. Uh, and I was really I was struck. I'm going, what do I do? Um, I write articles, I write scripts, I spend time away from home, I come back again, I, I don't know. And so I actually, in a brief you know, moment of inspiration, I said to the kids, Elijah's dad sits down and watches TV for half the day and then goes and watches a film for the other half. You know? <laughs> and apparently this became the top occupation for their class after, <laughs> so can I go and do what Elijah's dad does? You know? No. <laughs> and you wouldn't want to, too, because, you know, I need retreads on my eyes, to be honest. It's, it's quite a contrast to our first speaker this morning. <laughs> <where we're laughs> I read occasionally. My well, own articles. You know, anyway. Well, we're really looking forward to uh, what you have for us this morning. So Look, it's a pleasure, and thanks very much. Guys, I always feel uh, a pleasure in coming here particularly to speak. And this is my fourth time now. I was quite surprised to be asked back because of the first, second and third times. But uh, I always have a pleasure coming because I know the sort of people I'm going to be talking to here are dedicated parents or carers of children. And the reason why I know that is because you brought your kids to do something today uh, to get them out of the house, even, even if they were screaming and saying, I don't want to go, who didn't have that experience this morning? You know, or, uh, you know, you sort of force them into doing what is actually good for them sometimes. You're interested in expanding them. 
And so you're here listening, not simply because you've got an interest in the area, but because you've got an interest in your kids. And as a communicator, there's nothing better than talking to an audience who actually wants to hear what's going on. You know, so thanks very much for turning up and giving me the opportunity to, uh, well, I guess, talk to you about some of the things I've been learning as I've been writing articles. And I say learning simply because I'm a parent. So you can trust me when I talk about uh, the, uh, the inner workings of the media. That's my expertise. Um, when I talk to you about being a parent, I am sharing notes. You know, we're around the table going, did this work for you? Well, this is what we've tried and it's worked so far. You know, and my wife and I look at each other often. We have three sons and, and we've kind of written off the first two and we're hoping that the third one will... Because <laughs> 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 we've learned a lot with the first two. <laughs> anyway... Um, Many of us here are parents, or many of us here have a lot to do with kids. Maybe you're a grandparent. I don't know. And because of that, I think you have a fair familiarity with children's television or children's film. Now, cards on the table. I am not here to make you feel guilty about using the television. Okay, that is not a problem. I remember when I... He's giving away a bit of my age. I remember when I came... I was growing up in my local town, and the telephone came to town. Yes, I know you're saying, that can't possibly be with those youthful looks of yours. Well, I remember when the telephone came and the, the minister, we went to church that Sunday and the minister preached a strenuous sermon against the evils of telephone. You know, it, it could interrupt dinner. You know, they're all... <laughs> we sit around my table now and each of us with our mobile phones in a row. It's, you know, I, I think he would have died. I think he has died. Actually, it doesn't, it doesn't matter. The television is not the problem. What we do with television is the problem. You know, it's the technology is, is kind of neuter. You know, it's really what we're actually doing with it, how we choose to use it. Uh, and so that's why, you know, I'm here today to talk to you particularly about film. Film is not the problem. Our choices with films, that can be where the problem comes in. So that's what we've got to look at. So I'm going to test your knowledge since you obviously know far too much about television because you are a parent. Let's face it, if you just want to get a shower, you have to put the TV on. Okay, so I understand that, particularly if you've got young kids. Uh, let me test your knowledge. And I need a bit of shouting out here because we are a, a largish group this morning. So the farting green ogre who's inspired four films. Anyone? Shrek. Okay, that's good. You see, now, now you know that you can participate. See, the questions are that easy. Okay. Here's something a little tougher, maybe something to the ladies. The red-headed, arrow-shooting Scottish girl who's determined not to get married. Merida, yeah, from Brave, that's great. I'm impressed that you knew her first name. That was a struggle for the guys yesterday. Okay, something maybe a little more up-to-date. The video game villain who just wants to be a hero. Wreck-It Ralph. Okay, somebody's actually taken their kids off to the cinemas already. You know. uh, and the film about a kid who sees dead people. It's, it's, no, no, it's not science, and it's not Sixth Sense. It's Paranorman, which is a new kids film that has come out this week. Okay, it, uh, are you surprised already, some of the adult topics? Okay, well, look, let's, let's get a little cryptic. You should be able to get this one. The film trilogy that has the Randy Newman song, You've Got a Friend in Me, as its theme. Toy Story. One, two, and three. Did you know that that only an, oh, only a couple of days ago, I thought that that film, that song by Randy Newman, pre-existed the films. But no, it was actually written 
for the films. That's how those things are so subtle and tie into those sort of links in our culture that we feel like they've been around forever, but they're actually just quite a new creation. You've got a friend in me. It's not surprising that we know a lot about films. Uh, Australians will spend about a billion dollars just at the box office this year. Okay, so they will. I'm not talking about videos. I'm not talking about hiring DVDs just going to the box office and handing over. Now, considering that recently I took the kids to the pictures and it cost me $110, you can understand how we got up to a billion fairly quickly. You know? But a billion dollars. The average adult, I'm looking at a, a room that will have the average adult in it somewhere. Uh, let me see, put your hand up if this is you. We'll see one to two films a month. Uh, one, uh, there you go. They're probably my parents. That's what you do with your golden age, you know, when you've you finally got your kids on here, you go to the pictures. If you know a lot about kids' films, trust me, I know far too much. I see almost every film that comes out in a year. Uh, it's part of my job, and I see basically one to two films a week. Actually, that's not true. I, don't see, I only see about a fifth of the films that come out in a year, and I see about one to two a week. Uh, and Hollywood, I've learned, is this really restless river. You know, there are all sorts of topics that come up and are prominent for a few years and then they're down and they're submerged. And also there are styles that come up and, are, and almost every film seems to have bullet cam or every film seems to have the Matrix move in it somewhere, you know. Uh, and these things come up and then they disappear again. You know, and I can tell you, having done this, you know, running reviews particularly for 15 years, I can tell you without a doubt that the films today are far more violent than the films were 15 years ago. No doubt in my mind. I remember when the original Total Recall came out. Has anybody seen Total Recall with Arnold Schwarzenegger? I mean, the real Total Recall. Thank you for the five men and one woman, I noticed, who put their hand up there. <laughs> Good on you. Um, with your husband? Did you? <laughs> he, he probably chose it that night. Okay, Total Recall was rated R. It amuses me. It was rated R when it first came out in Australia. Today, it would be a comedy, you know, in comparison. In fact, the, the recent remake, which was more violent than the original, was rated M. We'd skipped R, we'd dropped off MA15+, and we'd gone to M, because this is where violence goes in film. Strangely, it's not all bad news. In the 80s, we used to have really prolonged sex scenes. They would run from five to seven minutes at a film. You know, films like Highlander or Fatal Attraction would just make this great feature of these sex scenes. And now, generally speaking, um, sex scenes in films are far more subtle, you know, are dealt with differently. So, you know, there are pros and cons. Unless, of course, and I am not going to ask for hands here because I'm a little afraid of what I see, uh, unless, of course, you've been watching Twilight films... So I'll look this way, so you, all the faces that just went red. Breaking Dawn Part 1 and 2 seem to be in that revival of getting the sex scene back in the film, and that's a bit disappointing. Swearing is up in a way that it's never been before. There's a film coming out in February called The Sweeney, based on the original uh, cop television show. Uh, and uh, honestly, you could have written that script with four keys. It's all you would have needed. Uh, and racism is down. You know, in fact, it's now cool to hate racists which is kind of a weird thing if you think about it. You know, we've, we've sort of got that back to the front. I included You've Got a Friend in Me in the questions at the beginning, though, because there is an interesting trend going on with friendship in film. It is one of those topics that always sits around, you know, close personal relationships that are always in film, but now it's taking on a whole different shape. So much so that I think you could be well, you know, it would be a good thing to do to ask yourself the question, 
when you look at a, ki- uh, a kid's film these days, have you really got a friend in me? You know, is this really a friend that they're putting forward? I don't know if anyone in this room is old enough to remember the film Stand By Me. You know, it was a Rob Reiner film. Oh, look, there's someone really nodding their head because they love that film. And look, I understand. It's a fantastic Rob Reiner film. It's full of child stars. Okay, so if you ever want to look at all those sort of big Hollywood names, but just in tiny faces, you know, they're all there. Um, And it is a fantastic film if you haven't seen it because it is one of the greatest essays in friendship that's ever made it out of Hollywood. Child star Will Wheaton of sort of Star Trek fame, uh, fame plays this fellow called Gordy. And he's one of those second-rung kids, you know, not the, um, the best sportsman, not the most popular kid. He's pretty bright, but, you know, he's always sort of um, the, the second kid in the group, not the first. Um, and he's friends with a fellow called Chris Chambers, who's played by River Phoenix. Uh, and Chris Chambers is this sort of, like, well, ne'er-do-well from the family on the wrong side of the tracks, an accused thief, that sort of stuff. And they're best friends. They're really sort of polar social opposites. And they hear about a kid that's died, and they hear where the body is, and they want to go see the body. So they take a couple of their friends, you know, Teddy and Vern, that's Corey Feldman and uh, Jerry O'Connell, another two big stars, and they discover this body... And they hope that in discovering this body, they'll become famous. That's the idea. This is how a 12-year-old kid's mind works, you know. We'll be the ones who'll tell everyone, and then we'll be famous. But what they actually discover in the process of this film is what it means to be friends. You know, it's this fantastic idea of what it actually means to be there for one another. And so there are great scenes of them pulling leeches off each other, you know, in horror, uh, and pushing each other out of the way of trains. And most profoundly, though, the thing that they discover the most is that friends will talk and tell the truth, you know, and sometimes the truth in the most painful ways. So in Stand By Me, Gordy wants to be a creative writer, uh, and really he's having, having this dream crushed because his dad has recently lost his first son, you know, the football-playing army enlisted Denny. You know, and Denny is uh, played by John Cusack. And Denny's dead. And the family is crushed. And Gordy's dad is always looking at him as if he's this failure, as if it should have been him who died rather than his brother. And Gordy is thinking, maybe I'll just give up on all this sort of writing stuff and, and stop telling stories and I'll do shop classes, which is like the equivalent of industrial arts or something like that. And if I do these shop classes, maybe my dad will like me more. And he tells, you know, tough Chris that he's going to do shop classes like him because writing's stupid. And Chris turns around and says to him, writing's not stupid, you're stupid. Let me read you this quote. Chris says, wish the hell I was your dad. You wouldn't be going around talking about taking these stupid shop courses if I was. It's like God gave you something, man. All those stories you can make up. And he said, this is what we've got for you, kid. Try not to lose it. Kids lose everything unless there's someone there to look out for them. See, Chris's idea of being Gordy's friend is not to agree with him on everything he says or to support him in every decision he makes, you know, or to affirm him in every course of his life. It's actually to tell him that he's being stupid. Uh, And later in the film, Chris's friendship even involves putting himself in front of a knife that's directed at Gordy. Uh, And so we arrive at what classic Hollywood you know, thinks of as friendship. And let me see if I can sort of lay this out to you in a sentence. Risky honesty tempered by real sacrifice and a promise to stand by me. These are the classic elements of friendship in Hollywood. The problem is that classic friendship 
is going by the by as far as children's films are concerned. And it's being replaced by something else. So see if you can keep these in your mind. Risky honesty, real sacrifice, and a promise to be there no matter what. You know, I actually could have got those ingredients out of any film. I, mean, I could have gotten them out of Beaches. You know, if you've seen that, same thing. Risky honesty, you know, real sacrifice, tempered by a promise to be there no matter what. Um, and in fact, I'm not saying that they're absent in cinema today, okay, because you, you, if you... Did anyone see Men in Black 3 this year? I oh, know, for the kids, right, you know, not for yourself, I understand. Uh, we're all sacrificial like that. Um, Men in Black 3, in fact, any of the Men in Black films are basically about managing illegal aliens who come to the planet, you know, this sort of like comic sci-fi but really, all of that is just a backdrop for a friendship between two guys. You know, Agent J, who's Will Smith, and Agent K, <clears throat> who's Tommy Lee Jones. You know, and J has never had any trouble telling K home truths. And this time, in Men in Black 3, he travels back in time to prevent his partner's assassination and risks himself along the way. And what have you got? You've got honesty, real sacrifice and the promise to be there. So these things are still there in film today. It's very hard to make any grand statement about what's going on in Hollywood. But generally speaking, there are more popular films for kids that are taking a completely different approach. <clears throat> Take the kids' blockbuster Cars 2. Who's seen Cars 2 to begin with? Okay, yep. Who actually owns Cars 2? If you're in my house, it's on high rotation. You know, in fact... I, I was counting up, we, for some reason we have three copies of Cars 2, um, and I think that's just because not only do we look with three boys, do we look like the family who would appreciate that film, you know, it seems that everybody thought that was a good Christmas or birthday present or something like that. You know, two sets of grandparents, everybody, and it all falls over. And so, what happens in Cars 2? Well, you can go to any, any primary school in Australia and ask what is the, you know, try and work out the relationship between Lightning McQueen, who's this, you know, uptown city race car, uh, and uh, Mater, who's this, you know, country bumpkin tow truck. And you can ask, what's the relation between, and kids will tell you they are best buddies. And in fact, that's how Mater refers to them. He's my best buddy. You know, that's how they talk about each other. That's who they are. They're friends. In the latest instalment, though, you see something kind of interesting. Now, I want to be clear here, I'm not attacking Mater's personality. He's the simpler one of the crowd. That's not a problem that he's the country mouse in this sort of city mouse, country mouse story. But he, he ends up doing a lot of things that are not only really quite harmful um, or even inconsiderate. Um, they're detrimental to what's happening with Lightning McQueen. They don't show much thinking or even listening to the people that are around him. Uh, but Cars 2 is clear as a windscreen that the one thing that you can't ask a friend to do is change. So at the end of the film, Lightning McQueen is the one who's apologising, and he, even though Mater has done all these crazy things all the way through the film, um, McQueen apologises to his rusty friend by repeating the lesson that he's learned at the end of the film, and it's like this. If people aren't taking you seriously, Mater, then they need to change, not you. I'm sorry for asking you to change. Now, now this is the interesting thing, because despite their very active adventures, McQueen and Mater's friendship actually turns out to be something incredibly passive. Now, fundamentally, they won't judge, they won't criticise, and they certainly won't ask each other to change. And Cars 2 isn't alone. You can find the same encouragement to leave your friends alone in Wreck-It Ralph, 
in Frankenweenie, in Paranorman, in Brave, how to train your dragon change and asking someone to change who they are, regardless of how it affects other people, is a problem in our society and it's set, it's set up as so for kids. So people who really love each other don't try and change each other. You might be interested to know that there are really only three types of script. You know, so many films coming out every year, about 250 films are released in each year, and there are really only three scripts out there. Take it from a scriptwriter, believe me. Um, there are three types. There's the quest. Now, the quest is almost always, um, you know, someone trying to achieve something. So it's boy climbs mountain, boy chases girl, girl chases boy, you know, entangled. Um, or the, the second type is the chess game. It's where two forces are opposed to each other and they're trying to outmaneuver each other. It might be the fisherman in front of the perfect storm. It might be Luke in front of Darth Vader. You know, it's the chess game. Who makes what move and what do you do in order to avoid it? And then finally, there's the life lesson. It's that film that tries to present you something in a way that you come out of the film going, yes, that's important. I feel affirmed in what I've just learnt about life. You know, Shawshank Redemption was a classic film for that. A more recent one, Life of Pi. I don't know if anyone's seen that yet, but you know, Life of Pi is this film which is concentrating on the fact that when you come out, you're supposed to feel, yes, the divine, not necessarily God, but the divine or eternal things are important and they're beautiful. You don't necessarily have to listen to the details, you just have to appreciate the beauty. See, so, yeah, a sort of a life lesson film. And kids' films, here's a hint, are always, always built around life lessons. It's just the way they work. It's the magic formula. You know, you take that life lesson. And that's not surprising because we've learned a long, long time ago that the best way to teach a child anything is through story. So Aesop's fables, literally thousands of years old, are in fact stories with messages at the end of them. So you tell a story about a donkey and there's the lesson you should learn at the end of it. Um, likewise, Grimm's fairy tales, same sort of thing. Right up until the present day, for thousands of years, human beings have been going, if I'm going to teach a child anything, I'm going to use a story. Now, while I can get behind the idea in Cars 2 that friends are to be cherished, not transformed to something that sort of suits us, I've been qualifying McQueen's moral with my three boys because I actually prefer my kids to take on a more active approach in their friendships. Um, now, I'm surprised, uh, I'd be very surprised if you've actually been anywhere near EV Church and they haven't mentioned the Bible, so I won't feel afraid about actually mentioning the Bible. Um, but I love the Bible because amongst many other things in it, it has some great wisdom for life. And there's a particular proverb I like in a book called Proverbs, um, where you hear a proverb about friendship, and this is one of them. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. And it's just an interesting idea that anybody could deliver faithful wounds. I'm doing you a favour, you know, that sort of thing. But that's what it's saying. You know, and actually, we kind of understand that because even if a friend ends up leaving a few dings in the bumper, sometimes it's for a very good reason, and we need those things. You know, and the Bible reminds me that one of the best things we can do for each other is not leave them alone, but actually wave them off danger, off self-destructive behavior, that sort of thing. Now, the reason why it does so is because leave me alone friendship is actually not a new idea. Okay, let me see if I can tease this out for you. Has anybody's mum or grandmum or something like that ever gone on at them with 
uh, referring to the golden rule. The herd of the golden rule. A few nods. Okay. Uh, I'm not sure. I tried this in such a large group. We won't do this in such a large group. But if you tried to state the golden rule, I bet that a lot of people would get it wrong. And it's not your fault. It's because of a historical argument that's been going on. You didn't think you were here for a history lesson, but let me be really quick and as at least boring as I can possibly be. Okay, so it goes like this. About 2,000 years ago, around Jesus' time, uh, there were a bunch of popular teachers going around, stuffed shirts, sort of proud guys called Pharisees. And they were teaching that the golden rule to get on with people was don't do to others the things you don't want them to do to you. Okay, and that might sound familiar to you as the golden rule. Don't do to others the sort of things you don't want them to do to you. Uh, your parents might have said it to you this way. Do you want that to be done to you? If you don't want someone to do that to you, don't you do it. Don't do to others the sort of things you don't want them to do to you. Now, that's really funny because the more you look at that, there's actually a problem with that statement. It is that, and, and it's really one that Hollywood is kind of comfortable with because it's fundamentally passive. In short, so long as I am not doing anything to hurt you, I'm your friend. And so long as you don't do anything to annoy me or hurt me or make me feel uncomfortable, you're my friend too. But the moment you start making me feel uncomfortable or asking me to change or, or telling me there's a problem in my life or even, heaven forbid, telling me I might be a little too self-focused or selfish or something like that, well, the friendship's off. You know, things have changed. Now, when Jesus, who, who basically taught in the same period, kind of like 50, 100 years after this sort of popular statement was circulating around, he restated it. He said, and this is why the other half of the room might have said it this way, do unto others the things you would like them to do unto you. And that became known as the golden rule. But, you know, if you ask people today, they get the two confused because society is very much about leave me alone friendship now, whereas Jesus was very much about active, you want to be nice to people, you want friends, go and do to them the sort of things you would like them to do to you, be active, talk to them why you'd like to be talked to, warn them if you'd like to be warned, reassure them if you'd like to be reassured. By removing a couple of words, Jesus restored the idea of active friendship and set on course a faith that would transform the world. I work with a bunch of historians because one of the things I've cultivated uh, in my life is writing scripts for historical uh, television series and documentaries. So I spent a lot of time in the Middle East and other old places. Other people are going, do you know, oh, I hear you just came back from London. Did you see the London Eye? Did you see it? No, I was looking at a bunch of rocks. You know, it's pretty much the same no matter where I go. Uh, and... One of the interesting things about hanging around historians is they give you a real perspective on life. And we think some of the things that have always been true sometimes only turn out to have been true for maybe 60 or 100 years or something like that. Um, and one of the interesting things about Christianity is this idea of do unto others as you would like them to do unto you as the golden rule literally transformed two or three centuries of Roman Empire and then basically gave birth to the social institutions like schools and hospitals and things like that that we have today. I mean, the entire Western world owes a lot to do unto others as you would have them do unto you. So it's interesting when we find out that real friendship, in fact, effective friendship, the sort that actually works and will help kids and will help us, is active friendship. But we seem to be hearing a lot of passive stories. And so, and what about those ideal characteristics of friendship? You know, when I brought them up at the beginning, honesty, sacrifice, 
I promise to be there no matter what. You know, it wouldn't surprise you that the guy who, who told the world, do unto others as you would have them do unto you, has those characteristics in spades. So Jesus doesn't hide from us our need to change. You know, he says there's a problem in your life, okay? There's painful honesty. You've got to do something about that. And Christianity is built on the nature of sacrifice. So what does Jesus do? Well, he backs up his, your need to change with his death. You know, and then finally, um, there's this promise. Interestingly, I'm running another television series at the moment called World Religions. It's not called World Religions. We just have working titles because it takes two or three years to make these things. Um, and I've been going around studying uh, Islam uh, in the Middle East and I've been uh, working uh, with people in Hindu temples in uh, India and I've been in Africa and I've been in South America and it just goes on and on and on. Um, I'm on my fourth passport um, and I've learned a lot about different religions but I tell you there's one thing about Christianity that sets it apart from any other one I've met and that's that the chief founder of Christianity promises to actually be with a Christian for the rest of their life in every situation. You know, Muhammad does not promise this. Buddha does not promise this. You know, it is an amazing thing. Uh, and that is the there no matter what, the whole stand by me idea. I digress. Okay, we were here to talk about kids and pictures and films and stuff. You've been very patient. So let me say to you, what are you going to be doing these holidays with your kids? Well, I'm going to tell you that if the weather was anything like yesterday, you're only actually going to end up in three places if you're not at home. Okay, it's going to be the pool, it's going to be the shopping centre, and it's going to be the cinemas, because they've got great air conditioning, okay? <laughs> if you don't have air conditioning at home, I bet you're in that percentage that watches far more films than anybody else. Okay, it's a great place also for the kids to just stop for a moment and stop, you know, putting holes in the walls, which they literally do at my place. So it's a great holiday, holiday tradition. Did you know that Boxing Day... Uh, I don't know what you would call a Boxing Day tradition, but in Boxing Day, um, there are five times as many uh, cinema tickets sold as any other day of the year. It's the biggest day in Australian history. The, the Boxing Day tradition for Australians is to go to the pictures. It's not backyard cricket. It's not the beach. You know, th this is the thing that people are doing. Maybe it's our, our temperature. So there's a good chance you're going to take the kids to the pictures. And I remember my dad doing the same thing. He took a day off work uh, and he was going to have a boys' day out. I have an older brother and a couple of sisters as well, but he was going to have a boys' day out. He was going to take my brother and I to the pictures. Now, my dad is a sincere man. Um, I will say that he um, is a, an honest man, but, you know, well, you know, there are no degrees attached to his name. He's a great guy. I have a huge respect for him, but he didn't think this one through. So he's looking at the cinema and he's looking at the paper and he's going... Boys like trucks. I'm going to take them to see that film. And that film was Convoy. I don't know if you've seen Convoy. But I remember this really sort of uncomfortable moment where I turned to my dad in the cinema and I said, why did the lady just say to the man, you can unwrap your present now? She doesn't have a present. You know, what, is, what is she going to... And dad's going, eat your popcorn. <laughs> There's some trucks coming up. <laughs> What is a parent to do? To be honest, I was so concerned about what a parent is to do with decent messages that I wrote some children's books. Now, this, you, know, you actually have a great um, a resident uh, children's book writer in this congregation I know, actually, in Evie Church. Um, Sky Parry-Jones is just brilliant. So I sort of feel like I'm in some... You already know the sort of things I'm going to talk about. But you can't... There is no magic silver hammer for making your children understand good friendship. 
What you need to do is keep surrounding them with good examples of friendship. So I wrote two books on friendship. One's home, and I really wrote these for my boys. My boys came home from school, uh, and they were just traumatized by various events or what people had said to them, things like that. So I wrote a book about what it means to belong, you know, what, you know, called home, and what it's like, to, who would actually make you feel like you belong, and then what it actually means to have friends. And because I'm a parent, and I don't know what to do with so many, you know, well-meaning books that are given me, I wrote a note at the back of each of them saying, listen, if you're trying to use this book to teach your kids about anything, here's a couple of questions to ask them, and this is what you're trying to get out. Because you really only have a couple of minutes in a conversation with a young kid, don't you? It's not like they're going to sit down and, well, they're not going to sit down for any of my lectures. I can tell you firsthand my boys are not interested. But weirdly, they will watch the same film over and over and over and over again, and they will pick up a book and just read it, and that will be the favourite book for three weeks or something like that. So surround them with all sorts of things. And here are three hints, and I'm going to finish with these. Okay, you're taking the kids to the films. This is what you're going to do, first and foremost. Don't go in there with the greatest concern being, how am I going to settle them down and ration out the jelly snakes? Okay? Be suspicious. And particularly, be suspicious of the film that tells your kid they're fine just the way they are. Because you know them, right? They're not fine just the way they are. Half of parenting is actually trying to move them on from where they are to somewhere else completely. So any film that tells you you're fine just the way they are is actually not doing them a favour. As parents, we actually want to change our kids and we want to change them for the better. And be ready for that film whose moral doesn't rise any higher than live and let live. Think of the best friends you've ever had. They were not the leave-me-alone friends. They were not the live-and-let-live friends. They were the ones who actually got involved in your life, told you what you needed to hear at times, listened, sure, but told you what you needed to hear uh, and basically sacrificed alongside of you and are still there today. They're there no matter what. Or maybe you haven't seen them for years, but you know that if you turn up on their doorstep, you're back again, you know, just in that place. And finally, here's the third thing. Don't leave the job of defining friendship up to an industry whose chief concern is to sell your kid a lunchbox with Lightning McQueen on it, okay? Uh, find those things. Find the people that you think will be good. It's a difficult job, but persist at it. Take an active role. Start a conversation that might only last for a minute, but you've said it, and you'll maybe say it again in six weeks' time or in six weeks' time. That accumulative effect will change them. Look, I'd like to thank you for your patience. I've gone a little bit over time. In fact, I've spoken right through the question time, so maybe I'll actually escape. <laughs> we'll see.